Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Jesse HS with Heart God Media. This is the Heart God Media Podcast. And today's topic is on Toby Hooper. Toby Hooper has recently passed away. And, you know, as I said with, you know, the previous episode about George Romero, I mean, it's, you know, the older you get, you know, you get, you're raised on these films and these guys that created this, these films that resonate so much with you and become your you know a main part of who you are as a person is are these films and you know connecting with people on the level of you know growing up with these films and and being having them be such a huge part of your upbringing and your childhood and a lot of your memories a lot of your good memories and I have a lot of good memories about uh Toby Hooper and his films for sure um so this is kind of going to be a, a little bit of a tribute episode uh, to Toby Hooper. But at the same time, it's going to be, you know, we're going to talk just like we did with the George Romero episode. We're gonna I want to talk about some of my favorite movies from him, his impact on filmmaking, uh, horror filmmaking. Um, and, you know, we'll, we're going to have a, a guest on the show today to kind of give his insight. A uh, friend of mine, John. And, uh, yeah, uh, so I just recently rewatched Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2, which I watch every year, a couple times a year, just because it's so fucking good. And it's been noted that it's the most Toby Hooper film. It's the most, like, if someone, I think, I believe they said it in, uh, in some interview that I heard, that it's the most, if you could describe Toby Hooper in one film, it'd be Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, because it's so offbeat and kooky and funny, and, I mean, it's a horror film, but it's, it just, it's so funny, and there's so many one-liners, and there's so many, there's just, the act, the acting in it is, I mean, it was Carolyn Williams, like, you know, it was her first thing I mean I think most people saw her and it's the first thing I ever saw her in obviously I mean and I I want to say I saw the movie in the early 90s early to late 90s uh early to mid 90s rather um and it was just I remember watching it. it was the first movie I watched where I was like wow like this movie's like scary I mean now it's it's not as scary but at the same time you know, I was like eight, seven or eight years old, and I was like, this is scary, but it's also really funny. There's funny characters, there's funny one liners. And that was, I think, I want to really, I really think this is my introduction to having comedy in my horror films. It was the first time I'd watched a horror film where I was laughing as much as I was, or maybe even more so than I was scared. And that made the escape that much better. It made it so much more fun. When you could be scared one moment because they have, you know, uh, a corpse, the hitch, the hitchhiker from the first film, uh, Nubbins, they have him like Leatherface is puppeteering him on the truck when he's sawing uh, Buzz and the Bright Lights Big Titties guy, and it, that that seems so scary. Especially now, I feel like it's still scary, like as goofy as it is. But then you have the relief of Chop Top and Bill Mosley. And, like, all the funny, funny, funny shit he says is just... It kills me. It It's just so... It's so fucking good. And, you know, that... 
comedy and horror go hand in hand. I mean, there's no difference. I mean, like, you know, I think, uh, you know, it's talked about, like, in, in Evil Dead 2, like, how over the top it is with when his, uh, when the pipe comes down and it bursts blood all over the place and it's just an excessive amount of blood, how funny that actually is. And it's, uh, I mean, you can't really debate some of the great one-liners in this. I mean, Bill Mosley, I mean, it was his breakout role. I think it got him really started um, in the horror realm. And, I mean, it's probably one of the most iconic roles in all of horror film. I mean, I don't think there's any debating that. Um, And honestly, who could, I mean, maybe the greatest one-liner in all of all of cinema is, you know, come on. Hey, lick my plate, you dog dick. Like, how good, how good is lick my plate, you dog dick? I can't tell you how many times I actually got in trouble in school in third and fourth grade for saying that to people when they pissed me off and getting sent to detention and then having them the principal look at me in the eye and say why did why did you say this and i knew better to not tell him oh i saw it from a movie uh because my thought process is they're going to tell my parents that i saw it from a movie and he couldn't tell me but in reality my parents were cool enough to be like who who cares who cares? They would get calls like that. That was that was the extent of my really getting in trouble in high school was like laughing in class and, you know, quoting movies I shouldn't probably be quoting, especially in like fourth and fifth grade. Um, uh, so that's kind of a funny memory, too. But, you know, Toby recently he uh, two weeks ago now, I think it was two weeks. It was actually two weeks ago uh, today. I woke up to the text. uh that Toby was gone, and, uh, you, you know, you, it's almost like just, it's such a commonplace now, hearing about all these guys passing away, you know, Wes Craven, Romero, now Hooper, and I wish I could say, like, it, it makes me appreciate them more, but I, I mean, the appreciation level's already there, and I don't think it could get any more. But I do like watching uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. I watched Poltergeist not too long ago. I think maybe like six or seven months ago, just to you know, just throw it in, just something to watch. Like, um, and uh, that that's still. And I know there's a lot of controversy with that one too. Like, uh, you know, did Steven Spielberg? direct more than toby hooper was he really the director did toby really have anything to do with it besides playing a face you know of you know playing the whatever you want to call the beard for as a director or whatever but um either way i no one will really know and i don't really care because i think it does have that toby twang on it it has that little bit of tobiness that is on there and uh i mean it definitely reeks of spielberg too um but toby really did i mean we've talked about texas chainsaw massacre a lot right in the past like eight minutes but at the same time i think it's important to focus on some of his other films um i mean the original texas chainsaw massacre
that film is still so relevant and so terrifying and so real. It's so real. It feels so real still. And I remember first watching that and my parents... Um, particularly my father tried, you know, telling me, listen, this is a real story. This really happened because at the beginning, you know, when they say this day in August 18th, 1973, uh, it, you know, you see that as a kid and you're like, holy shit, this is real. This happened. Uh, so when you don't know better and you're, you know, under the age of 10 years old and, you're seeing this, you're like, shit, this really, this really happened. And these are actors playing it, but this all really happened. There is a Leatherface. There is a Hitchhiker. And you're like, holy shit. And then, you know, that's so frightening to think that that actually happens. Which, I mean, things outside of the realm of possibility of that happening, um, that's not a stretch. Like, things like that have happened. There has been Jeffrey Dahmer, who has killed eight people. Um, so it's not... It wasn't far-fetched, and I think it's so, it touched on, you know, the reality of real-life horror with me, and it scared the hell out of me as a kid, and, I mean, it's a landmark film. I mean, you gotta talk about, like, you know, people kind of really lean on, like, Psycho being the, 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 like, real beginning of, like, slashers, and things like that, and I can kind of agree with that for sure. Like, but at the same time, as far as like, I don't know. It. I think between Night of the Living Dead, starting, uh, George George Romero, John Russo's creation of the modern zombie, and then with this, I mean, these are, I mean, these are films that really put horror on the map uh without a doubt texas chainsaw massacre put horror on the map and there were so many licensing issues and this is a a great story and i'm so like i'm so thrilled to have this little inkling gunner hansen who played the original leatherface i met him at a horror convention in cincinnati ohio horror hound um and i was one of the first people at his table Uh, when it opened on, like, this Friday afternoon, was there with a couple friends, uh, and I just started talking to him, and I said, hey, what? I got a question for you, if you don't mind asking, and he was more than, you know, he was more than happy to oblige me, and he said, yeah, yeah, sure, what is it? And I said, well, there was a licensing issue with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where, you know, like, everyone, no one really made a lot of money on it, like, but the film did well, like in drive-ins and 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 what have you, and and movie in th- the theaters that it did open in, it did well. Like now, how did that? How did you not? How, I know there's Toby Hooper has went on to say like the film he didn't see a lot of residual monies from that or anything, uh, barely. And Gunnar Hansen told me that someone in the organized crime realm was wanted to get into movies, wanted to get into distribution and licensing and all that fun stuff. And they sold the rights to them so they could get it, you know, into these drive-ins, into these theaters so they could get it out. So they sold away the rights 
Um, and these guys, uh, one in particular, Gunnar Hansen, was telling me, you know, kind of reaped all the benefits of the movie. Um, with everyone else getting little to nothing and pretty much set these guys up for life uh, with the amount of money that it made. Uh, and uh, he joked and he kind of told me the whole story about how you know they had showed up to set once and uh, I, I'm trying to remember the conversation because it's almost 10 years at this point. Um, but he made a joke saying, you know, all of our hard work and, you know, sweating to death in that Texas heat, we ended up, uh, you know, it ended up the money that it made ended up giving, you know, serving, going to margaritas for one of these guys sitting on a beach somewhere at the expense of, you know, Toby Hooper and Gunnar Hansen and, and, uh, Jim Seedow, uh, and, uh, I thought that was just really funny, and he was just kind of like talking a little bit about that, and that was such a cool story. He spent like 15 minutes as the line built behind me. He spent like 15 minutes with me, just kind of like talking about that and like kind of airing his grievances about it. But he was, uh, he just seemed uh, tickled to tell the story, and it was, uh, I mean, it's such an awesome memory. And he was such a like a nice, humble, kind guy, and he was very stoked and. You know, and I and I can't remember exactly what I said to him, and I, you know, I just I thanked him for, you know, I, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is one of the first films I saw as well that kind of turned me on to, you know, loving being scared, loving the what horror movies provide, the effects and the escape that they provide with getting you scared while remaining safe. You remain safe while watching these films because you're sitting on your couch, or you're sitting in bed. And you're seeing this crazy shit and you're like, oh man, that's so fucked up. I'm so scared. The lights are off. And you can shut it off and everything's okay. And that's such a great escape. And I mean, the masters of horror. Toby Hooper is definitely one of them. Without a shadow of a doubt, he was one of them. And he had such a... He seemed like a... Just like... He had his finger on the pulse of what was funny, uh, especially, you know, in now I can watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original, and see, like, some of the funnier stuff in it, um, and Franklin's character. There's no way, like, I mean, when I first saw it, I felt really bad for the character, and, like, I was, and he was, like, slightly annoying at the same time. Now he's annoying, but that, that role of Franklin is so damn funny it's so funny to watch him saying like just mocking like his his sister and like (laughs) like doing the laugh and shit like fucking it slays me it's so funny it's so it's so good and so well acted um by everyone and uh you know Toby went on to do some really cool films. Eaten Live is another great film. If you haven't seen it, please check it out. Another awesome film. Uh, Body Bags, who he helped uh, do with John Carpenter. And that is like such a fun anthology film. Um, but there was so much stuff that he contributed. Um, you know, outside of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre films. I mean, he was kind of the first two that he did, obviously. Um and he was kind of, I feel like he, at some points, he was, like, pigeon-held to that. Um, and then with 
kind of what uh, the controversy with Poltergeist and things like that. But, I mean, man, Salem's Lot. Salem's Lot is awesome. Another frightening film. It was a TV movie. It was a TV movie. And it was like, I remember watching that and I was just like, love it. I was just, I watched a lot of these films probably within the time period of like being like, I want to say like seven, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, probably like seven to twelve. I was fine. I found like all uh, every film that I would grow to love and adore, uh, you know, where I was really, you know, aware and conscious of what I was watching and like would, you know, really retain what I was watching. I was like, oh, I love that movie. I love this movie because when you're five or six you know, four, five, and six, and you're watching movies, you're just kind of watching movies, you're not really paying attention, uh, the average person, the average kid isn't, I feel like I was, and as soon as I watched a movie, I would remember it, and I remember years would go by, and I was just like, what was the name of that movie, what was the name of that movie, I remember this scene, and going, you know, luckily the internet came around, and I was lucky to get it, you know, I didn't really get on the internet until I was about 15 or 16, so, you know, being able to go back and find these films and you're like, shit, that's what it was called. That was that was the fun house. I remember that. Okay, that was Salem's Lot. I remember that. Um, but yeah, Salem's Lot, uh, they I wanna say was it Waxwork? It was either Waxwork or Death Waltz. I cannot remember who put it out, but someone put out the soundtrack for um uh, Salem's Lot, and on, like, a blue and yellow and, like, black swirl, and it just looked fucking sick, and, and I love that, you know, these movies are getting, like, the vinyl releases for the soundtrack and the scores and stuff, but, yeah, you did the Fun House, and the Fun House was, you know, I didn't see that, I didn't see the Fun House until, like, I saw, like, parts of it as a kid, and then, you know, I was just like, what was the name of that film, and then, you know, I found it, and I was like, shit, Toby Hooper did that, that's great, uh, you know, uh, Life Force, that's something I didn't see until later on, I don't think I saw Life Force until, like, maybe a few years ago, like, six or seven years ago, uh, again, loved it, thought it was great, and he did The Mangler, it's the Stephen King adaptation, uh, I know that doesn't get a lot of love, I honestly have not seen that since I rented it on VHS in the late 90s, um, but, you know, he just did, like, memorable, memorable movies, just ones that remind me a lot of my childhood, especially, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, and Body Bags, I remember when Body Bags was getting shown on Showtime, and just staying up late, because, oh, Body Bags is on, I gotta watch that, I gotta watch that, and something I just found out that I thought was awesome is he directed the Billy Idol Dancing With Myself, it, you know, it's gen- it's Generation X song, but Billy Idol, like, you know, c- claimed it, and uh, you know, after Generation X, he left Generation X and pursued his solo career. He directed that Dancing With Myself video, which reeks, you watch it now, and you're like, that's definitely got Toby's stamp on it. And I love that, I love that I just found that out. I love still finding things out I didn't know about directors and movies and things that I love. There's a never-ending amount of knowledge that we can still unravel, like, after, you know, you think you know it all about some of your favorite directors. Um, and I'm not going to sit here and lie and say that I I, I think Toby Hooper... I like Toby Hooper's uh, 
career better than like a Romero or a Craven because I don't. But at the same time, I hold Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. And, and honestly, Salem's Lot, Body Bags. I hold those movies in high regard uh, because I grew up watching those films. And I have such a nostalgic... Uh... I remember watching Body Bags with my father who passed away last year. Um, and I remember watching Body Bags. The And I remember watching the one uh, with Stacey Keach, that that episode with the hair, where the guys, where Stacey Keach's character is balding and he, you know, he gets the, the weird alien leech transplant uh, thing and he starts growing hair everywhere. And I remember being creeped out and watching that with my, with my old man, like late at night, just, just chilling in the living room, watching it. And, uh, you know, that goes for Texas Chainsaw Massacre too, too. I remember quoting Chop Top endlessly saying, lick my plate, you dog dick. I remember saying that and getting yelled at me and my cousin quoting that over and over again and getting yelled at by, my father saying, would you quit fucking quoting that? Would you shut up? You keep going on and on. We get it. Um, and that's just such, I mean, that's what these films and what these directors have left. They have left those great memories that you have with your loved ones that have now passed on as well. You know what I mean? I'm not the only one. This isn't like, this isn't like unknown. This isn't like unknown territory. There are so many people's people that have these, these memories of nostalgia with people that they love that have passed on. And now that these directors and these filmmakers and these actors and actresses and creators of all this art that we as, you know, film fans and music fans hold so dear, now that they're gone, you know, we need to remember it even more. You know, when we watch them, we did, we're not going to only remember those times we had, you know, with our father watching these movies late at night. We're going to remember... We're gonna rem- we're gonna acknowledge what they really have done for us, and remember their memory and the art that they've created, as well as you know their art that we've shared with our loved ones that have passed on. Um, and it's 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 such a cool it's so such cool memories to have, and to think that you know someone like Toby Hooper is a you know like I said it uh, I'll said it before with George Romero, I'll say it again right now for Toby Hooper. It's they're dead and gone, but their memory, their impact, their effect on the people that are fans of their work is going to last a lifetime. I mean, in another 30 years, uh, you know, hopefully I'll still be alive. Um, I plan on living a very long time, but uh, hopefully, you know, I'll still be having these, I'll still have these memories. I'll still be, I'll still think, every time I see body bags, I'll think, of my father and I'll remember Toby Hooper and I will every time I see Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 I'm going to see and remember I'm going to think back and remember my father telling me that Texas Chainsaw Massacre really happened I'm going to think back to him telling me to quit quoting Chopped Up and that is I think that's awesome that's such a cool cool thing uh, to have and remember and that's where I think people think like, oh, they're just movies or they're just horror movies. Like there's no real depth to them. It goes a lot deeper than a lot of other movies and draw like drama films and these big, huge budget films that tell these great stories, nothing against them. And I love all kinds of film. Like 
I was just talking the other day about how I think Forrest Gump is still one of the greatest films of all time. It's so engaging and interesting and entertaining. Um, but at the same time, you know, movies like that are always merit rewatch. I always rewatch Forrest Gump. But at the same time, you know, these uh, people who, you know, kind of look at horror as like, you know, second or third class citizens to the rest of the film genres. It's it's unfortunate because you talk to someone who's a fan of horror and genre films, you know, 80s action or sci-fi or suspense and crime and thriller, whatever you want to call it. Um, they're passionate fans and they have great insight to not even just horror film, but film in general. And a lot of horror stories, they're great fantasy storytelling and they don't get the respect uh a lot of the time that they should um as intelligent film uh in filmmaking i feel like they're almost they're almost too smart for people who think that you know horror is uh is below the rest of film genre it's almost too smart like they're uh, horror movies are very self-aware um especially, you know, even the ones that were filmed in the 80s and they're so bad that they're good type things. The Troll 2 Syndrome, you know what I mean? It was so good, but it was so bad that it's uh, it's amazing that even the people that were in it who have now recognized how ridiculous over the top it is, they're self-aware now. And they love, they love that, you know, the people who were involved with that film, save for the filmmaker, um, he, uh, you know, they all like, love how bad it is and appreciate how bad it is because there's fans behind it there's fans behind it that love how bad it is and they they get it even though they were trying to make a serious film and it came out goofy as all hell troll troll 2 is so revered they made a documentary called best worst movie uh and i i am you gotta check it out because it's so entertaining and george hardy who is now a dent it was a dentist he's been a dentist i think his entire adult life um, it was his one acting job, and it kind of follows him and his discovery of the fandom for Troll Two, and like, and and I think at first he gets a little like creeped out by like conventions and convention goers and things like that. But I think at the end he kind of realizes that even though it's a joke of a movie, in the sense that like they took it serious, but it didn't you know it came out very hokey in a good way and it's a good bad movie and it's the best worst movie ever uh i think you know it was an eye it's eye-opening for people that don't see horror like that to really realize that even if a movie at the time isn't self-aware when they're filming how bad it is you know in hindsight they can look back it's so bad it's good um and that's important and uh but at the same time, there's a lot of these films like Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. Is 100% self-aware, 100% knew that they were joking, and it was a it was a whole joke and every and the dialogue is just so funny and like hilarious, and uh, it's I don't know, it's just so fun to to have all this all these films to be able to talk about. I mean, this podcast is going to be able to exist long, a long, long, long time because there are endless films, endless 
directors, endless actors, endless talent, endless stories that can be told. And hopefully I'm going to involve more and more people as it goes on. Um, And I think we're going to have my friend John Engel do a little call-in in a little bit. Um... And he's going to kind of, we're going to have him discuss uh, Toby Hooper a little bit for himself. Um, And he, he, you know, all of my friends that are into uh, horror and genre film as well, they all, like, if you took all of the things we have in common film wise and the appreciation that we have for different films away, we would still be friends, but I can't, I can't stress enough how much film and film in general, because there's so many non horror films that we love and relate and talk about as well. But horror is just like our bread and butter. Um, and it's so, it's so fun to talk and, uh, and I'm going to talk to John a little bit about that because him and I have been friends, I think, for like four or five years. And that was the whole horror and convention going and things like that. That's the whole basis of mine and his friendship. Uh, or my other friends, we were friends before, you know, that became our main bonding, uh, our bonding glue. But with John, that is what uh, kind of touched us off is for being uh, friends uh but yeah we're gonna we're gonna get a hold of john here and we're gonna see what he has to say uh about toby hooper and uh it should be very very we're facetiming because we don't have a higher budget for that hey john how's it going hey going well thanks for having me i'm happy to be here hell yeah so we're talking about Toby Hooper, and I was just kind of discussing, you know, uh, my favorite films, and I was really talking about Texas Chainsaw Massacre too, uh, mainly, and I touched on uh, some of his other films. If you had to name your favorite Toby Hooper work, what do you think it would be? That's that's tough. Toby's had a uh, a, a great career. Um, one film that always comes to mind when I think of Toby Hooper is. Uh, the film Life Force, which was uh, written by Dan O'Bannon of Alien and uh, Return of the Living Dead fame, John Carpenter's old college roommate. And uh, I just, I, I find that film, every time I watch it, um, I enjoy it more and more. It's just incredibly well done. And and it's just something to this day that's still incredibly unique. Whereas, you know, zombies with, with Walking Dead have been done to death, no pun intended, but um, that vampires in space is is still pretty unique uh so what was the first toby hooper film that you saw that you can actually remember like seeing as a kid um i i'd imagine it 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 probably would have been poltergeist um and then obviously there's the the argument of who actually directed that film yeah um which i don't know if you already got into that but that's a that's a whole uh separate argument that's 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 interesting in and of itself see that's what uh we i did discuss that for a moment but i this is this is my take on it whether toby had a huge a huge part in it or not 
directing wise i think it still has a little bit of toby hooper stank on it it has like a little bit of his signature on it whether he directed two scenes or not he was obviously involved in it at some capacity now maybe the truth is we'll never really know what his capacity truly was but i feel like it definitely has a little bit of of a toby hoover signature on it Oh, for sure. It, it, it definitely seems like a, a Hooper-Spielberg hybrid. Um, Hooper known, uh, although Texas Chainsaw too is comedic, but Hooper known for, for darker, more sinister horror, and uh, Spielberg obviously more family-friendly. So it's a mashup of the two, um, but, but, but certainly probably more Spielberg, but y- you can't discount... Hooper's contribution to that film. Um, I did. I did read recently. Um, I was just doing a little research after Toby passed, uh, sadly, and uh, I came across an old uh, L.A. Times article that uh, that had a quote in it that I'd actually never seen before, which I can share with your listeners quick. Um, but it said uh, it, it was released prior to Poltergeist hitting theaters. Um, and in it, Spielberg said that, uh, quote, Toby isn't what you'd call a take charge sort of guy. He's just not a strong presence on a movie set. If a question was asked and an answer wasn't immediately forthcoming, I'd jump up and say what we could do. Toby would not agreement, and that became the process of our co- collaboration, end quote. So um, an interesting note um, about Toby. He always seemed like a quiet guy. And uh, I, I guess with Spielberg's more dominant personality, he, he probably had more of a say on, on that film, but it's it's still classic. Oh, without a doubt. Now, here's a, here's a question for you. If you had to name, what do you think Toby's, if you could t- recommend a movie to somebody to say, you know, I want to get into Toby Hooper's work. What's the first film I should check out? Well, the immediate answer that comes to mind is, of course, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, but but outside of that, um, you know, a film that I think it has Toby Hooper written all over it and I think is really um, underrated for uh, people outside of the slasher genre, fans of that subgenre, is the Funhouse. I think that's a quintessential Toby Hooper film. Um, it, it's just something you have to see if you haven't. And on an interesting note, after um, after that film was released, they, they they had a novelization of it released, and it was actually written by Dean Koontz, who's you know gone on and and done. Uh, you know, amazing things in his own right in the in the horror thriller uh, book genre, and so uh, he was writing under an, an alternate name. But yeah, that that film is uh, is one of my favorites of his. I a funny story actually about uh, last fall. Uh, I remember you getting the heads up that Best Buy had gotten in. Uh, the Salem's Lot Blu-rays, but they hadn't released them. They haven't put them. They didn't put them out like on the shelves because you were looking to buy it online and it said available in stores, but it technically wasn't its release date yet for the official Blu-ray release. And we actually went to Best Buy and made the Best Buy worker go in the back and get us the Salem's Lot Blu-rays uh, before they were actually released. You remember that last uh, last September or October? 
ashamed to say that uh, I haven't, I believe that was something that was unique to that Blu-ray is a Toby Hooper commentary, and I'm ashamed to say that I haven't actually listened to it yet. Unfortunately, it's it's definitely on my to-do list. I'm interested to hear what Toby has to say about that um, about that film. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's another one uh, of Toby's classics, and I think that that demonstrates his diversity as a director. Oh, absolutely. You know, Toby did. Um, Toby did a lot of TV, uh, and uh, you know, uh, Salem's Lot being a made-for-TV miniseries, and then you have. Um, you have a lot, a lot more later on, and particularly in the '90s of, of TV that he did. He um, before that he did the the pilot episode of Freddy's Nightmares, which gives yep. you sort of a background on Robert Englund's Freddy Krueger character and you know the crimes he committed, which led to obviously the original Nightmare on Elm Street. So uh, really, a diverse career. Uh, you have to commend Toby on his range, what he was able to accomplish. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's what, and that's kind of something I, I've been talking about too, is like, uh, I think sometimes, uh, fans of these directors, they, once they pass, like they still have like a deep love and admiration for him. But then when you rewatch the films, uh, you know, post death, of uh said director said actor said actress i think that's when the appreciation factor really fully solidifies in you saying like this person's gone but they have left an impact on my life just from a strict fan point but i was saying nostalgia is what keeps horror and related genres alive is remembering seeing them at a young age and nostalgia is everything when it comes to these films and you know we're gonna revere and remember these films um and i think you know now when we watch them especially with the passing of like a toby hooper you you really appreciate what the guy did in his life and you have a profound respect for what he accomplished and the impact he had on our lives just being fans and having stories of nostalgic glee that we're gonna have forever from the films that you know he created I absolutely agree, and, uh, you know, after Toby's passing, I read a lot about uh, people referring to uh, him as part of Horror's Core 4, along with George Romero, um, John Carpenter, um, Wes Craven, who sadly passed a few years ago, and I definitely feel like Hooper was the most uh, unsung of the of the four core absolutely. four. Definitely. Um, just someone who who I don't think always got the respect that he deserved uh, definitely wasn't in the conversation as much as I, I think he should have been and I think that's for a few different reasons um, I think one Hooper was known for for how quiet he was um, he wasn't someone who traveled much I, I had read somewhere he didn't he didn't particularly like flying, so you, you really wouldn't see him outside of his native Texas uh, at conventions and things. He wasn't a big public appearance guy. Um, and I think he sort of suffered later on in his career from what you saw happen to Bob Clark, another great director. Um, people, 
held him to a standard of, of his earlier works and nothing lived up in their mind. Um, and he got sort of relegated to doing t- made-for-TV movies and, um, you know, Bob Clark obviously ending his career with karate dog and you know baby geniuses and you know you look at uh, the last super film i think i saw uh, was a film called mortuary which was fairly disappointing but it's hard you know it's hard when you you make such great films for so many years to to live up to the your own the bar you set and uh and i think whereas craven was making scream four and um you know Romero was still in the conversation because of The Walking Dead, and and John Carpenter is still very active on the convention scene. He, you know, he's doing his music now. Um, I think Hooper was sort of the forgotten member of the core four, so it's uh, it's a little unfortunate because there's a lot of great films in his filmography uh, that people I, I don't think they've seen. But he's also he's very diverse, not just in the transition from uh, theatrical to television, but also. Um, he, he had probably more hits and misses than anybody else in that core four. <laughs> you know what I mean? The same guy who directed Texas Chainsaw Massacre directed uh, The Mangler. You know, it's a, it's, a very, uh, it's a very unique filmography that he has for sure. Yeah, it definitely is. I feel like he didn't hold himself. He did. I feel like he did what he wanted. He didn't really... Um... He didn't really feel like he had to do certain things. Um, I really am interested to. Uh, I wonder what he's t- what he had turned down out of you know because Salem's Lot was a success, Texas Chainsaw Massacre was a success. I w- I really wonder what he turned down. But I guess if I had to wrap up, kind of what we're talking about right now, I would say this for people that kind of do see him as the young unsung and i'm not going to say that i haven't because at times you know it's mainly when we talk we we revere so much on george romero and wes craven and john carpenter um because they do have uh i think they they do have a larger filmography between the three of them uh each one of them having a larger filmography compared to toby but at the same point i'll say this wes craven nightmare on elm street george romero Night of the Living Dead, John Carpenter, Halloween, Toby Hooper, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, arguably for the biggest horror movies and genre-defying movies of all time. Uh, oh, for sure, and I think that that will live on forever. I think um, they are that- our modern. They are our modern famous monsters, Leatherface. Uh, Michael Myers, Freddy Krueger, you know, uh, you know, you're talking uh, the zombie subgenre, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you're that's our that that's our Wolfman, and you know, the Mummy, and what have you. Um, that's definitely uh, something that I, I feel is going to to live on long past Toby. That creation, they're still making. You know, Texas Chainsaw movies. They're yeah, they're still coming out. Remakes, prequels, and every other incarnation of uh, of Leatherface. And, uh, you know, yeah, to get back to your point real quick, to touch on as far as what he, uh, what he may have passed up, I'd also be interested to know. It's always fun um, looking that up and, and, and seeing some of the things that could have been, whether he passed it up or it just ended up in developmental hell and... Uh, whatever the case may be, but I did recently see, uh, I think it was Code Red, releasing a Blu-ray of a film called The Dark, 
um, which Toby Hooper had originally been attached to. He was uh, in the director's chair. Uh, this was right after Eaten Alive with Robert Englund. And uh, I just saw, you know, I just just yesterday I was looking up that film. I was like, oh, I, I think Toby had something to do with this. And apparently he got fired off the set of that film just for falling <laughs> behind schedule um, and was replaced by a guy named John Bud Cardos who had just finished a film called uh, Kingdom of the Spiders with William Shatner. So that was... Um, that, that that's an interesting note right there. Why are you doing that? <laughs> Sorry, my little one popped in to say hi to everybody. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that's it's funny, you know. We we have uh, we hold them to such esteem, but you know, there's little little side notes, little blips in their career like that that I find uh, interesting that gives you even more respect. Where you know he was he was trying to make a certain movie, they were trying to push him on time constraints and he you know they just parted ways you know like you said he was just trying to make his own films and do it the way he wanted to do it yeah i think i think him more than uh more than the rest of the you know the the other three uh top tier horror directors i think uh you know his struggles and criticism because he was highly i mean especially because that article about him not being as involved with poltergeist as some people may have thought or whatever um i think that you know he did face like some criticism on that and like a lot of his films that didn't live up to the hype you know live up to you know the the standard bear that he created with uh you know texas chainsaw massacre yeah he definitely it's tough when you're when your first film um, ends up being so successful and, and, and it's it's so acclaimed. Um, I, I think it's hard because people naturally um, think you're the, you're the next big thing and, and they and they hold you to that standard and, and few people are able to to replicate that with their next film. Um, you know Wes was a little bit of a, of a, of a different situation because he had done several um, films prior to Nightmare, which was his his biggest hit to date. Um, Carpenter, he, he had done a couple films, but really Halloween was his big breakout. Um, George fell into the same trap. You know, people tend to think of Night of the Living Dead and then they jump right to Dawn of the Dead and they sort of neglect the fact that there were several other, uh, you know, there's always Vanilla and Seasons of the Witch and what have you, um, in between. It, it's tough. You, you set a standard, um, for yourself. Uh, people hold you to that. They think that your next film should be as good, if not better, than your previous film. And it's tough when you make something as amazing as Texas Chainsaw Massacre to, to replicate that the next time out. But um, there's a lot of really fun films, I think, in Toby's filmography um, that that people, a lot of people haven't checked out. You know, Spontaneous con- Combustion with uh, Brad Chucky Dorif. Uh, you know, later on in his career, the remake of the Toolbox Murders with uh, Sherry Moon Zombie making a cameo appearance. That's there's just a lot of really fun, fun films, um, really cheesy uh, films that you, you don't see so much in the others' filmography. Craven was definitely making bigger budget films, um, as was Carpenter working in the studio system, but. Uh, definitely Toby made some really interesting ones that I think people I think I think Toby was definitely self-aware especially when you see something like Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 he was very self-aware um that you know it 
they there's comedic elements to a lot of his films and he, I don't think he ever tried to hide that. He uh he was very self-aware like, you know, of taking the piss out of the movie. Oh, for sure. And that's uh and again, that's something that that's a testament to to him and his skill set to be able to transition from um, horror to, to, to comedy, you know, it, even looking at the, the first, the first two Texas Chainsaw films, how, how very different they are, how visceral the first one is and, and, and how startling it is and, and disturbing. And then how funny the second one is, um, that, that's, that takes an incredible amount of skill to go back and forth between such two very different genres. Um, and, 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 you know, in a lot of ways, very similar genres, but he definitely was a, a phenomenal director with an amazing skill set. And uh, it's just unfortunate we didn't we didn't have time to see more of his work. Yeah, I mean, when especially, you know, something else I think is uh, interesting is I feel like him and George Romero had the same trajectory when it came to their breakout films. Uh, George obviously being Night of Living Dead and Toby's being, you know, uh, what was it, four, five, six, six, seven years later was uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And they were always, I mean, George obviously ended up, Dawn of the Dead I think ended up being just as successful as Night of the Living Dead. Um, but Toby and him, I feel like they had to, they both had to jump that hurdle of getting over the success of Night of the Living Dead and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, I feel like they they both faced a struggle with trying to you know get past and top what they had created, which were modern masterpieces. For sure, um, I, I I agree completely. Um, and both of them, to to a certain degree, were pigeonholed into that uh, into into those films. Uh, Romero, people just kept demanding more zombies and. Um, which he obliged. He ended up doing six of them, but that original trilogy to uh, all phenomenal films. And, and I know you already had your podcast on George Romero. Everybody check that out because it's great. Um, but those dead films in a way overshadowed some of George's other great work um, in between like creep show and things. Definitely. And, uh, and I think that ha- it definitely happened with a lot of Toby's films, a lot of, um, and I'm not being hypocritical because there's certain films I've discovered within the last few years. Like, oh, Toby directed that. I never, you know, I never even knew that. Well, that's um, what I had said. I said I had not checked out Life Force until um, I think uh, maybe four, th- four or five years ago. Yeah, it's it's just there. There's a lot of hidden gems in his filmography, and I think that that is in a lot of ways a product of uh, those not being humongous studio pictures. Um, you know what I mean? Like John Carpenter doing the thing with Universal, that that's getting a huge push. That's got a huge budget. I think Toby was doing a lot of other things um, that that maybe weren't on the same scale and just sort of fell between the cracks. But it, just so much fun to be had in, in his films. You know, you don't always take them seriously, um, and they're not always the most terrifying. But it's just uh, a lot of fun in in those films. Definitely. Well, John, thanks for uh, coming on and having this discussion with us and kind of giving us your thoughts on Toby. And, uh, I mean, we've probably had this conversation seven or eight hundred times. Uh, uh, but for, if, for sure, and I'm sure, we'll, uh, I'm sure we'll have it again off the air uh, because he's just one of those directors that's uh, worth uh, 
worth continuing to talk about. You know, that conversation I think is going to live on for a long time. Toby's done a lot of memorable things. And, uh, you know, thanks, Toby, for all your contributions to this genre we love. Absolutely. Well, John, appreciate you stopping in. And, Thanks for uh, having me, guys. Hey, uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure. You're welcome anytime, brother. All right, brother. We'll talk with you soon. Yep. Have a good one. I I love having conversations like that. I really, I really do. And I mean, that's just that's one passionate person to another about film. And uh, you know, anybody. I'm going to say this right now. Anybody listening, you're more than welcome to come on if you're, you know. I mean, it's hard to be a, as well-spoken as Mr. John Engel, but uh, it's uh, – I want to have conversations with anybody, anybody who is a fan, anybody who loves this shit as much as myself and my friends. Um, anyone's more than welcome to come on, uh, and it's uh, – you know – it's it's very it's comforting to be able to talk about these things uh and just share the love for these movies it's just it really is it's awesome and i love having the conversations and there's so many more to be had uh about several different people and uh it is the season it's uh september uh, you know, October's right around the corner, so you definitely have to check out more and more horror movies as it gets closer. Son of a bitch, you moved the cemetery, but you left the bodies, didn't you? Son of a bitch, you left the bodies and you only moved the headstones! You only moved the headstones! Uh, make sure you move the headstones, for sure. Uh, and... Listen, if I had to recommend, if you haven't, if you're not, I mean, everyone should have seen, um, everyone should have, should have seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre by now. But in the event that you haven't, I'm going to recommend, uh, a few films, a few films that I think you should check out if you haven't. And, uh, it's like death eating a cracker. it is like death eating a cracker. Um, <laughs> But, yes, I think you should check out Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. I think that is truly his masterpiece. Is as pivotal and as important as the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre is. People have said it before, and I agree with it. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, Part 2 is the most Toby Hooper, Toby Hooper film. But also check out Body Bags. I think that is another amazing film of his that doesn't get a lot of love, but it should. On that note... Uh, listen, we've said, I mean, we could talk for hours about Toby Hooper. If there's anything that you didn't hear that I should have talked about about Toby Hooper, um, let me know. Comment on our Instagram uh, post about this episode. Uh, and let me know, and we'll follow up on the next episode. But uh, that's it for now. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Toby Hooper, what... What a life, what a career, and what an impact he's made. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll leave you with this. Thanks for watching. Thanks for watching. It's not a video. But thanks for listening to the HeartGad Media Podcast. I'm Jesse HS. Thanks for stopping by. You got one choice, boy. Sex or the saw. Sex is, well... 
nobody knows. But the saw, the saw is family.